So uh, the other day I saw this bumper sticker that said, coexist. You know the one I'm talking about, right? It's the one that has the religious symbols, uh, the different ones spelling out the word coexist as a call sign for peace. It's a nice concept, though it is misguided. However, that is not what struck me this time. Normally when I see one of these stickers on a car, it is not uncommon to have a peace symbol or something such like that with accompanying the coexist one. However, this car had another sticker, which was a cartoon of a zombie family with the words above it saying, we ate your stick family. Now, I may be missing something, but it seems that those are incongruous messages. Unless I suppose that the stick figure family is just to exist next to the zombie one for nourishment's sake. Those messages seem to be opposing. The definition of incongruous is this, lacking congruity, such as not harmonious, incompatible, not conforming, disagreeing, inconsistent within itself, or lacking propriety, unstable. Now before you and I get all self-righteous thinking that we would never be so blatantly, hold on, they gave me more power than I thought. Again, so that we are not so self-righteous thinking that we would never be so blatantly incongruous. I want to hear Tim Hawkins, comedian, talk about another bumper sticker. A lot of Christians have the Jesus fish on the back of the car. Jesus fish, mmm. Saw a car the other day with the Darwin fish on the back. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. I saw this on a car one time. It was a Jesus fish devouring a Darwin fish. Yeah, there's some good, solid biblical teaching for you. If somebody disagrees with you, eat them! Yeah. What would Jesus do? God's way of living demands living in congruity. It means living in harmony, consistent, consistent with living as children of the Almighty God. This is accomplished by resurrection living. And when we focus on resurrection living, we are able to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of our Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. See, the Corinthians' lives were out of order. They had not respected roles nor authority structure. They had not loved well, but instead fought for power. They had let immorality invade the life of the body and, and even allow the destructive force of broken marriage covenants sweep through the church. In many ways, chaos abounded in Corinth. The brothers and sisters there were being tossed to and fro, living like double-minded people instead of living like men and women who had hope. Their lives were simply incongruous with their faith. And in his letter, Paul calls the people in the Corinthian church to stability. He urges them to continue the work of the Lord, and he wraps up the first letter to the Corinthians with examples of God's way of practical stewardship. Now, it is possible that as you read the end of chapter 15 and move into 16, that it's possible reading this, that you wonder 
about the almost quick change of subject to finish the teaching to the church in Corinth. It can, on the surface, even seem a bit incongruous itself. After all, could not Paul have just let the letter end on a high note declaring this? 55 to 58 of chapter 15 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, why jump into trivial things like money or even personal matters? Alfred Martin says this in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, some may consider this anticlimactic. The apostle had just described the glories of the resurrection body and the mystery of the rapture and reminded those to whom the letter was addressed that they had every reason to continue energetically and wholeheartedly in the work of the Lord. In the next breath, so to speak, he dictated to his secretary, now concerning the collection of the saints. No, this is not anticlimactic, nor is this out of place. Paul was broaching here a subject that had lain heavily on his heart, end quote. You see, Paul wants to connect the dots with what it means from being rescued from sin and destruction to be made new to live a life under the power of the Holy Spirit to do good works. That connection is always practical. So he addresses practical stewardship. To make sure we're on the same page here, is another definition, stewardship. The office, duties, and obligations of a steward. And also the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. You see, all of us have been given much. And for many of us living here in North Texas, we have been blessed with money and time and people, all of which must be used wisely for us to remain steady and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord. So as we wrap up our series, God's Way, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians focuses on three main points. The stewardship of money, the stewardship of opportunities, and the stewardship of people. We'll begin in verse 1 through 4, talking about the collection of the saints. And Paul says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. In the Expositor's Bible Commentary, W. Harold Mayer says this about the situation. He says, the Corinthians had ev evidently asked about the collection to be taken up for God's people at Jerusalem. Paul must have spoken to them earlier about it, as he also did later. This offering for these poor in Jerusalem was much on his mind during his third missionary journey. That he mentions the Galatian church, churches here, though not in 2 Corinthians 8-9 through 9, or Romans 15-26, through 26, implies that this collection was to be a widespread and extensive effort with the Corinthian Christians contributing along with those from other lands. Why some of the Christians in Jerusalem were poor at this time, he does not say. It may have been in part because of the famine referred to in Acts 11:29. 29, end quote. 
So while this particular collection that is spoken of here is a special gift, it's for a special purpose, there are a few things that we can learn about giving in general as we connect it to other passages as well. The first statement is that giving to the Lord's work is for each of you. No one, no one seems to be excluded in the church. Second, it appears that giving to the Lord's work should be regular and systematic. The MacArthur Bible study notes make this observation about the first day of the week and the collection. The evidence, this evidence is that the early church met on Sunday. The point is that giving must occur regularly, not just when one, when one feels generous, particularly led to do so, or instructed to do so for some special purpose. End quote. The third thing we find in this short section here is giving should be proportional to what each has been given as one prospers. As one prospers. There is no, nowhere in the New Testament declaring a certain amount or percentage that each person should give to the Lord's work. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Dr. Tom Constable makes this observation. He says, notice that Paul made no mention of tithing here or elsewhere. Tithing is a method of giving that God prescribed for the Israelites under the Mosaic law. People commonly practiced tithing as an act of worship in the ancient Near East. It was also a common tax. This is still true in some modern countries. For example, in England, a part of everyone's taxes goes to maintain a church of England. Some residents regard this part of their tax as their contribution to the church or their tithe. The Mosaic law actually required that the Israelites give back to, the God, to God about one-third of their incomes. However, Christians are not under the Mosaic law. It is therefore understandable that neither Jesus Christ nor the apostles commanded tithing. Some Christians believe that because Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek and Jacob tithed, tithing thus antedates the Mosaic law and is therefore binding on Christians. Nevertheless, a practice is not the same as a precept. Moreover, the absence of any reference to tithing in the New Testament, plus the teaching of other guidelines, strongly suggests that God wants us to follow a different method. The principles that should govern Christians in our giving appear throughout the New Testament, but mainly in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, and Philippians 4. End quote. One final principle that we can glean from this text on giving is that the funds should be handled with integrity. Verse 3 and 4 says, When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. You see, Paul was very serious about how he handled money. He wanted it to be done properly. And you can read in other uh, pieces of his letters where he, he was very careful about how he asked for money, what he asked for for support. And he does not want the Corinthians to just hand him the money for Jerusalem. He wants them to pick trustworthy people to take the money as the gift to Jerusalem. He is willing to go with them if needed to make sure it gets there, but he is not arrogant in thinking that he has to be the one to deliver the, mon the funds because his desire is more that the people are cared for and that the, honor that the Lord is honored in all transactions. This is the reason why we have certain protocols here at Frisco Bible and how we spend money. We keep tight reins on making sure that we know where the money is spent and why. 
Big check expenditures require extra people to approve them. Andy and Vicki are constantly working, paying attention to tax laws and other such principles to make sure that we are above board as an organization. Many of these things actually are not very convenient for business operations, nor are they convenient in trying to care for people. However, we are dedicated to honor the Lord above all and handle the funds with integrity. And as a staff member, I am blessed to be a part of a group of people who desires to do that very well. And we are grateful for our leaders who do that. As we seek resurrection living, we must remember that we, we need to be a good steward of the funds that God has given us. And this should lead us to regular systematic giving as the Lord prospers us and we should handle it with all integrity, honoring the Lord above all. After this section, Paul moves into some personal plans, some desires that he has. In verse five, <coughs> five through nine, it says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you for, or even spend a summer so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. See, Paul wants to get to Corinth. He wants to be near to these brothers and sisters. He wants to help them and walk with them through the trouble and the things that they're trying to learn and grow in learning what it means to walk God's way. He is looking forward to the opportunity and he's making plans to get there. Being a good steward, he has his eyes open to look for opportunities to serve other people. His eyes are open. He's looking for the next path that the Lord would direct him in, ready to share the good news of Jesus. Paul has a plan. He's willing to allow those plans to change as the Lord directs, as you see, as if he says, if the Lord permits. And Paul is also willing to stay in a current opportunity even though it is difficult. See, if you read Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, you find out that Paul's plans did not quite work the way he wanted them to. In fact, because they didn't work out the way he wanted to, Paul was accused by false teachers for being untrustworthy because he did not come as planned. While Paul worked diligently to make those plans and take the opportunities before him, he was not without difficulty. Warren Wiersbe says this in Be Wise. What do we learn from this difficult experience of Paul's? For one thing, a Christian must use his common sense, pray, study the situation, and see the best he can to determine the will of God. Proverbs 3, 5-6, lean not unto thine own understanding, must not be interpreted to mean put your brain in neutral and don't think. Wiersbe goes on, God gave us our minds and he expects us to think, but he does not want us to depend only upon our own reasoning. We must pray meditate on the word, and even seek the counsel of mature Christian friends, end quote. See, I would imagine that we, would all, we have all made plans that didn't quite work out. I'm also sure that we've probably made plans to actually help somebody else, to serve somebody else, and those plans didn't go the way we wanted to either. And that can be very, very discouraging. And yet, if we have our minds on resurrection living, then we then we can make plans and follow through with them to the best of our ability, ultimately trusting the Lord in his way. But perhaps our biggest trouble is that we don't first seek the Lord and his kingdom. 
And instead, we try to do things on our own power. Perhaps for some of us, we don't make any plans. We don't think and we don't seek out opportunities, but just wait for them to come to us while we are complaining about not feeling useful. Perhaps we give up too easily when the road gets tough because somehow we think that the path to follow Jesus is supposed to be easy. We forget that he said that there would be trouble in this world. See, Paul was in a living example of practical, stu- practical stewardship of opportunities. He looked for opportunities. He desired, he dreamed, he went after trying to figure out how to share the gospel with other people and help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And he was consistently leading others to do the same. Leading others to take opportunities to help others. He exhorted the Galatians in 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. See, Paul had a heart to look for opportunities to help other people. Let's listen to Wearsby again on the opportunity. The stewardship of opportunity is important. The individual believer and the church family must constantly ask, what opportunities is God giving us today? Instead of complaining about the obstacles, we must take advantage of the opportunities and leave the results with the Lord, end quote. So while learning to be good stewards of money and opportunities, Paul also calls for good stewardship of people. 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 11 He says, when Timothy comes, see see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. See, Paul desired for the Corinthians to respect Timothy. This young leader was to be listened to and cared for. He was gifted for the ministry of the gospel, and Paul wanted no one to miss the opportunity to learn from this young leader. Because being a good steward of people means that we should not look down on young people. Paul continues, verse 12, he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. See, Paul thought Apollos should return to Corinth. Paul thought it was time for him to be back. However, Apollos was not convinced yet. He too thought he should stay longer in Ephesus to help out there. So Paul is simply stating here to the Corinthians that he was respecting Apollos' decision, ultimately trusting the Lord's leading for Apollos in his life. Because being a good steward of people means that we should respect each other's decisions while ultimately trust the Spirit's leading In the middle of mentioning several individuals, Paul then stops to give five commands to the people in Corinth. Verses 13 and 14 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. You see, if we are to live harmonious lives with our eyes fixed on the resurrection so that we will be good stewards, then we must be watchful. We must be alert paying attention to the world around us. This is something I tell my kids all the time. Pay attention to the world around you. Look, see what's needed to be done. Be watchful. We are not to hide away in fear, but we are to watch for opportunities that we can take to help people see Jesus. Jesus. 
We are to look for danger that might be creeping in from the backside to stop it, to keep it from harming our family and our friends and our church. We are to be alert and watchful. And in every situation, we are to stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because in every situation, we need to stand up, no matter the circumstance, we need to stay solid and truthful in what God has told us to do. We need to grow up. That's what the phrase is, act like man, that's what it means, be mature, we need to grow up. Childish living is not good stewardship. We must not be petty in our lives, not with our stuff, nor with the relationships that we have. We must be mature. We need to be strong. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The power of the God of the universe lives inside of us. We have no reason to be timid in our lives. None. We are to be strong and courageous. And again, let all that you do be done in love. Paul reminds us again that everything that we do is to be done in love. We, everything else is worthless if it's not done in love. We've learned that from chapter 13. Being a good steward of people means that, that we will do all of these things, that we will stand alert, firm in the faith, mature, strong, and above all, loving. With these exhortations in mind, Paul finishes the letter with a few more names. Verses 15 and 18 through 18, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. Give recognition to such people. W. Harold Mayer states this of Stephanus and his family. He says this, the reference to the household of Stephanus was evidently prompted by the Corinthians' lack of respect for them. By personal experience, the apostle knew full well that the Corinthians were capable of disrespect. He urges the Corinthians to submit to the household of Stephanus and others like them because they were totally committed to serving God's people. End quote. See, Fortunatus and Achaicus appear to have accompanied Stephanus to go meet with Paul as part of the delegation to ask for help on behalf of the Corinthian church. And Paul praises these men for refreshing his own spirit. And he calls for the church at Corinth to recognize these faithful men and others like them. The church should submit themselves to such as these to reap the benefits of the leader's faith. Because being a good steward of people means that we recognize those who are faithful leaders and we humbly submit to them in their leadership. 1 Corinthians 16, 19, Paul continues, the churches at Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. As you read through the New Testament, you see Aquila and Priscilla mentioned a few times. This is a couple dedicated to serving the Lord faithfully. A couple whose, whose hearts were, were dedicated to resurrection living. 
to understanding the hope of Jesus and the life that he gives. They were being good stewards of what they had been given, having the church meet in their own home. And they cared deeply for their brethren so much that they wanted Paul to make sure that the Corinthian church knew that they loved them and they sent warm greetings to them. They cared deeply for their brothers and sisters who were fighting these struggles. Being a good steward of people is giving of ourselves and our stuff in order to care for others. We're looking out for the benefit of others. And in verse 20 to 24, Paul wraps up his letter. He says, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, just a quick note. Holy kiss. Young men, this is not a call for you to get a kiss from that girl that you like. This is a call for us to be close to one another as brothers and sisters. To show affection for one another, yes. To show care for one another, honor to one another as part of the family of God. High fives, handshakes, hugs, being near to one another so that we may speak grace and peace to one another as Paul does and these other brethren did to the Corinthian church. Being a good steward of people means that we will long to be near to one another, that we will long to speak life to one another in love, just as Paul and these other brothers and sisters did. So, you want to live a life of harmony? You want to live a life that is ordered and purposeful? Do you want to use your powers for good? then you must continue to learn what it means to be a practical steward, a good practical steward. We are to take the money that we have been given, the time and the opportunities that we have been given, and the people in our lives, and learn how to use those all to abound in the work of the Lord. Out of the three areas highlighted in the text today, which one do you need to address most right now to live in God's way? Are you taking care of the money that you have been given with integrity and with an eye to give to serve the Lord and his work? You see, one of the areas for me is that I'm in the market for another vehicle. And that's okay, except that I have been obsessed with the search for a vehicle. Spending more time looking for a vehicle than thinking about how to use money for the Lord's work. And as I read this passage this week, it has struck me as one other area that I need to address. How about you? Are you looking for opportunities to serve the Lord or are you wasting away passively in fear sitting on the sidelines of life? See, one of the things that I've worked on for a while in my life is to never say I don't have time. Last time I checked, we all have 24 hours and seven days a week. Is that correct? So for me to say I don't have time seems to dismiss a lot of opportunities and people. 
What I need to say instead is I know exactly where the Lord is going and wants me to go because I'm paying attention to him. I'm praying and seeking his will and his word and I know what I need to do and what I need to say no to. What opportunities are you missing because you're not paying attention? Are you caring for people? Are you gaining the benefits of living in a redeemed community? Or are you shying away, hiding in your own corner, missing the opportunity for somebody to speak truth into you and for the opportunity for you to bless somebody else, to love them and say, Jesus loves you and help them walk along the way. If you would, I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to reflect on these things for just a moment. Perhaps there's one of these areas that you need to work on, and I ask that you would spend some time talking to your Lord about that and confessing that sin and asking him for help to walk in the newness of life and abounding in the work of the Lord. Perhaps you are someone who has all these things down for, for the most part right now. You're living a life doing these things well as a good steward. Then I ask that you would ask the Lord to stretch you, one. Make sure there's nothing else you can do. And the next is pray for the one next to you because maybe they're struggling. Spend some time now. As we wrap up this series of God's way, we must also recognize that maybe somebody here doesn't know Jesus yet. You don't even know what this God way looks like. It just looks like a bunch of stuff to do. But oh, it's more than that. The God of the universe sent his one and only son to die on your behalf because your sin separated you from, from him and he longs to be with you. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You can do that right now. Trust Jesus so that you may live in God's way. Almighty God, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you. God, help us to live your way. God, help us to be good stewards of what you have given us, the stuff, the time, the people. Jesus, you came to give life and give it abundantly, and I pray that you would help us to be practical students, stewards so that we could enjoy that abundant life. Enjoy watching you work and help more people see your grace. And Father, for anybody that doesn't know you yet, I ask that you would pierce their heart and allow them to see your truth and your love and your mercy, the offer of life that you give.
God, now take this money and the offering and use it to abound your graces to other people. In Jesus' name, amen.